Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, August 27th, 2015. Checking the notes here. Yeah, I keep putting that one off. I think I'm going to put it off again. <laughs> I can't even see what I'm talking about, so I don't know why I'm saying it. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to, you know, open up God's Word, take a look at what it says in context, try to pay attention to what it means, not what we feel it means to us in the moment, you know, kind of thing. Um, and in order to uh, check to see what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group uh, curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says, or if they're uh, teaching false doctrine, twisting God's Word and teaching for shameful gain things that they ought not to teach. Now, today's program is going to feel like it is all over the map, and yet it isn't. That's the best way I could put it. And even though I will be, you know, the one thing I keep putting in as a wild card, I keep shuffling out. Yeah, I'm going to end up shuffling that out today, too. But uh, we'll see. Maybe it'll make it back into a, a future episode of Fighting for the Faith. So let's talk about what we're going to do today. We're going to actually kind of do things a little bit out of order. Here's the idea. If you haven't listened to yesterday's episode of Fighting for the Faith, yeah, that would be the August 26th episode, my ramblings on Mark 7 and 2 Peter. Yeah, pause, hit pause. Yeah, you got to hit pause. Go back and listen to yesterday's episode of Fighting for the Faith and then come back to this one. Because what it is that you're about to hear, our first segment in the first hour, builds off of, if you would, uh, you know, what we heard in uh, yesterday's episode, especially as it pertains to the so-called head knowledge versus heart knowledge things. Although that's not the category we're going to be explicitly dealing in, what we're going to be listening to, or who we'll be listening to, is Pete Wilson from Crosspoint Church. And uh, him giving the standard vision casting sermon, uh, the opening part of it, where basically they he he gives their reasoning as to why 
they don't really teach in depth at uh, you know these seeker-driven churches. And what we're going to hear Pete Wilson say, we've heard you know other people before say it, Perry Noble, Stephen Furtick, and others, others, Mark Beeson, and others, major leaders. We've also heard uh, you know Ed Young talk this way, and uh, you know and you know, the folks down at Church by the Glades talk this way, David Hughes, and uh, yeah, it's. You know, this is an epidemic, but the problem is, is that the the whole thing is false. It's not even what the scripture says. It's exactly contrary to what scripture says, and it makes a false dichotomy, and uh, it doesn't properly distinguish law and gospel. So uh, we'll take a listen to that, building on yesterday's episode. Then we're going to switch into a money-grubbing televangelist update. Oh, yeah, we're getting into the fall season. You know what that means, folks. I mean... Hey, the sky is falling. Oh, wait, no, the Shemitah is falling. The Shemitah is falling. And uh, you're going to have to you know, hide your wallet quick. Take all of your money out of the stock market because, well, it's everything is about to come to a screeching halt because it's the Shemitah year. And we got a four blood, you know, one of the four blood moon thingies going on. And uh, so we'll be listening to Larry and Tiz Huck as they talk about the false, fall feasts. And their twisting of the biblical teaching regarding the Shemitah. Everybody who's out there saying that the Shemitah involves economic collapses and God punishing uh, you know, economies and things like that, that's patently false. That is not what the scripture says. So we'll take a look at what the scripture says on that. And, uh, and then after that, uh, we're probably going to head over to uh, – uh, we're going to listen to A.R. Bernard. We're going to listen to A.R. Bernard and hear something from him that is, well, just, well, bizarre. You know, it almost speaks for itself, doesn't require too much commentary on my part, but uh, basically using the Bible uh, to justify, you know, not telling the truth. You know, as like some kind of a standard policy, as if the Bible teaches a principle here that, you know, you can apply, you know, to when you're out in the marketplace. So we'll be listening to A.R. Bernard, who we recently heard, uh, you know, I think it was last week we played a segment of him teaching at City Harvest Church. So uh, that's uh, that'll be hour number one. Hour number two, uh, we're going to uh, be listening to a, um, a sermon from a guy I can't even pronounce his name, uh, Chris Ayakalakamumia. Uh, <laughs> I can't even pronounce his name. But the name of uh, the sermon we'll be listening to is entitled, uh, You Can Talk to the Wind. You Can Talk to the Wind. Yeah, uh, that's what we're going to be doing in hour number two. So uh, that will round out our program today. Strongly recommend that you uh, make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground to cover. And since we're starting with a vision casting leader update, that requires us to do this.
Tonight's the night I'm gonna take the word and twist it Slobos Ministry Records and their rendition of Casting Vision. Good stuff there. And uh, one of my favorite songs we play here at Fighting for the Faith. So what we're going to be listening to is uh, Pete uh, Pete Wilson. He is the vision casting leader at Cross Point Church. And he's going to be explaining to us uh, from his sermon entitled House Party. That's the name of the sermon, by the way, House Party. Uh, House Party, the invitation. He's going to be casting vision, recasting vision, and you know, going through some of the core values there at uh, Cross Point Church, one of the premier seeker-driven uh, mega churches in the country, and passing along what I would consider to be an absolute demonic uh, justification for not teaching God's word in depth uh, during uh, the sermons there on Sundays. Uh, here's uh, Pete Wilson to explain. Here we go. Now, every year in August, um, I take a couple of weeks out to kind of do a vision series. And that's what this is. Where we kind of talk to you about just our church and who we are and, and kind of what we believe. And um, th- the reality is when we started this church years ago, we said we wanted to be essentially about three. Now, I want to point something out here. Uh, not once have I ever heard during a vision casting series at a secret-driven megachurch while they're talking about their, you know, what it is that we believe – they never talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, the penal substitutionary atonement, two natures of Christ, salvation by grace through faith alone. They never talk about you know, what's in their doctrinal statement. No, 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 no. This is, this is corporate stuff, core values, if you would. You know, recasting of the, the corporate vision and mission. Never do they say, now we, we believe here. We believe that God is one, there's one God in three persons. No, they don't talk like that. That's never what they talk about. All right. We said as a community, we want to be a group that is radically devoted to Christ, irrevocably committed to one another, and relentlessly dedicated to reaching those that are far from God. So there, he's notice he's preaching about them, not God, not Christ, them. That's a lot of you know uh, complicated words to say. Basically, we're about three things: discipleship, community, and evangelism. And our goal has always been as a church, we've said every church has aspects of these three things. Um, you know, uh, I grew up in a church that was awesome at discipleship, 
but there was no evangelism. Like nobody. Now, what I find fascinating is since he's one of the seeker-driven, you know, premier seeker-driven churches there uh, in uh, the country, uh, the purpose-driven churches. I thought Rick Warren said that in order for a church to be healthy, it, it has to address all five purposes of God. They're only addressing three. Apparently, the number of purposes that any given church you know can address. You know, it could be three, it could be five, who knows, maybe even down to two or one, I don't know. But this is weird that he's not towing the purpose-driven line and, and talking about the five purposes of a church. ...ever got saved in our church, like that I remember. Like, no, no one ever even got baptized, the only people that ever got baptized in our church were kids, every kid that turned eight got baptized. But outside of that, like, it just, we weren't reaching people in our community. Some of you, maybe you're a part of a church that did, you know, evangelism really well, but there was no community. And so what we've always said is we don't want to focus as a church on church growth. We want to focus on church health. And then what happens is you focus on church health. And church health for us us, is being balanced in these three areas. What happens is you focus on church health. Growth is a natural byproduct of things that are healthy. And so that's what we have to focus on. So they focus on health, and then the growth just comes automatically. When we get to why it is they don't actually preach in depth, you know, God's word, ask yourself this question. Does that actually lead to a healthy church or a church without an immune system? There's another way we can say it. We can say it lots of different ways. Grow up, grow in, grow out. Grow up uh, towards Jesus, grow in towards one another, grow out towards our community. Uh, We've talked about it in the essence of relationships before and really said this church is boiled down to three key relationships. Really, life is about three key relationships. Your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with insiders, that's people inside the church, and then your relationship with people outside in the community that might be far from God. And we've always said those are the three things that we want to be about, and we want to try to be to the best of our ability, to be balanced in those three areas. Those are the three things we want to be about. Hmm. Yeah, if if those three things were the three things that God wants his church to be about, shouldn't every church be about those three things? How come you got to choose three and Rick Warren has five? Hmm. Now, some of you maybe are fairly new to Crosspoint, and maybe you've been here like three weeks, and you're like, oh my gosh, we found it, right? This is the perfect church. You need to know in advance, I hate to burst your bubble, but this is not the perfect church. It's far from the perfect church. And if you're on some kind of quest to find the perfect church, you need to know you're actually on the quest for a unicorn because <laughs> there, there are no perfect churches, all right? You're not going to find it. And so we're a group of messed up people, but we're, we're a forgiven mess. And we're trying to figure out what this following Jesus is really all about. And so for the next couple... We're trying to figure out what this following Jesus is all about. Well, if a pastor said that, and I were a member of a congregation, I'd say, maybe I need to find a different pastor, because if he hasn't figured out what this following Jesus thing is all about yet, and we're all supposed to, as a group, kind of figure that out, yeah, we might end up falling off a cliff, you know? I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about it um, in the essence of kind of how do you define spiritual maturity or spiritual growth. And there's a lot of debate about this. Maybe not for you guys in every day, but in my world, there's a lot of debate about this these days on what does it look like for someone to become spiritually mature, for someone to grow spiritually. Um, After college, I went to seminary, seminaries where they train pastors. Not every pastor has been to seminary, but a bunch of them have. And in seminary, they basically train pastors to, uh, to believe this idea that The more biblically literate your church is, the more spiritually mature 
it's going to be. In other words, um, the more you know, the more you grow. All right. So here's the question. So he's kind of setting this up in kind of a weird dichotomy. And that is, you know, I, I would just simply ask the question, is it possible for somebody to really be a disciple of Jesus and not be taught and know all that Christ has commanded? Just, I mean, simply just go to the Great Commission passage, you know, in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples are learners, by the way. Um, and baptizing and teaching all that I have commanded. It doesn't say some or part, or it says all. So regardless of whether or not you think there's some correlation between spiritual maturity and knowledge, Jesus makes it clear that you know teaching all that I've commanded, it doesn't matter what your surveys say, that's, that's you know, part and parcel of the whole discipleship-making thing. So the job of a pastor, according to, well, Paul, who's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is to what? Preach the Word, right? So, I mean, Scripture thinks this is important, and Scripture is inspired by none other than God the Holy Spirit, and uh, you know, which kind of reminds me of uh, what I was reading um, yeah, in Second uh, Peter yesterday, in yesterday's episode of Fighting for the Faith, uh, in Second Peter chapter three, and um, and the importance of growing in knowledge. That's was right there in the Second Peter chapter three. In fact, it's right here. Second Peter chapter three, verse fourteen is where I'll start to get the context. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in Christ without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So there we go. I mean, just two passages are necessary at this point. I could, I could pile on and give you more from the epistles. But the idea here is, is that Scripture actually puts a premium on biblical knowledge. And Jesus has made it clear in the Great Commission that, hey, pastors, you know, the discipleship make, disciple makers are to disciple and they are to baptize and teach all that Christ has commanded, which requires you to teach all of Scripture because, well, all Scripture is God-breathed. So, yeah, whether you like it or not, uh, uh, you know, um, Pete, you, you got to give it to Jesus. Jesus, in, you know, says it's important to teach all that he's commanded. But watch what he does here. And it, it's going to show that he's utterly twisting God's word. And this, by the way, this is the standard seeker-driven line, so-called justifying, if you want, uh, you know, for them to not preach God's word in depth on Sunday. So we were all taught, kind of as pastors in seminary, that um, spiritual maturity was directly linked to how many Bible studies people did, how many programs they participated in, how many verses they memorized. Again, the more you know, the more you grow. The problem- Can you be truly spiritually mature with absolutely no knowledge of what Scripture says? That's what I want to know. Can you be spiritually mature and completely be biblically illiterate? Is that possible? Uh, besides the fact that it doesn't work, is that nowhere in the New Testament 
Do you see Jesus defining spiritual maturity in that way? How does Jesus define spiritual maturity? Which passage are you looking at? Because Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that I have commanded. Jesus talked about spiritual growth. When Jesus talked about spiritual maturity, it wasn't about what you know. In fact, the people that Jesus had the most difficult time with, the people, the only people that Jesus ever had really harsh words for were people that were unbelievably knowledgeable about the scriptures. Yeah, and uh, if you listen to the sermon yesterday on Mark 7, uh, verses 1 through 13, you understand the reason why Jesus had such a problem with the Pharisees. It's not that they knew the scriptures. Jesus makes it clear that they were making the word of God void through the commandments and traditions of men. They had a twin authority structure. They had the written word of uh, the written Torah and the oral Torah, and the oral Torah, they ended up completely obliterating the, uh, the written word of God with their so-called oral Torah, and Jesus completely trashed the whole thing. So for you to just sit there and say, oh, the Pharisees knew a lot about the Bible, well, that's basically not telling the whole truth about the Pharisees or giving e- us in even you know, in good historical data as to why the Pharisees were such a problem. And so, yeah, notice what he's doing here. Oh, yeah, so, you know, you religious people you who have all this Bible knowledge, you think you're spiritually mature. You're just a bunch of Pharisees. And so when Jesus talked about spiritual growth, when he talked about spiritual maturity, it wasn't about knowledge. It was always about love. Oh, it was always about love. So when Jesus talked about spiritual maturity, it was always about love. Can I see those passages, please? Um, Yeah, the reason I say that is because love is the law. That's the summary of the law. You want to you want to boil the law down? It's love God, love neighbor. There you go. How you doing at it? Mm-hmm. So spiritual maturity is always only uh, defined by love. Jesus was a guy who was a teacher of faith and repentance, and then bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, which results in love towards God and love towards neighbor. So we've got a big, 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 big problem here. Always about love. And one of the problems I think that we have in the American church these days, I put it on your outline, is that um, at at the end of the day, we are educated far beyond our obedience. And there's the line. We're educated far beyond our obedience. So now the seeker-driven vision casting leader can basically say, listen, we've had enough Bible because I've taken a look. We've done a survey of the people in our megachurch. And yeah, they're still struggling being obedient to the thing that I've taught them. So we're going to just stop teaching God's word until they learn how to obey what, what of God's word we've given them. Yeah, again, law, 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 law. The Christian faith is about faith in Christ and then bearing fruit in keeping with that penitent faith. Which is the you know which results in obedience, but um, yeah, we got a big problem here. He's not preaching for faith; he's preaching for obedience, and he's going to dole out God's word in little pieces until you can obey the little he's given you. You know, he's not going to give you any more. Which begs the question: Okay, so which of you out there, if all I gave you was the command, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength," and I'm not going to give you any more Bible until you get that one right? Which of you would then be ready to hear? more Bible tomorrow, the next day, next week, next month, next year. Yeah, yeah, all you'd have is the law condemning you because you ain't loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And until you do, you're not getting any more Bible from me. Far beyond our obedience. 
Um, we, 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 we know so much stuff, or I'm going to say everybody, I know you're not all super knowledgeable about the Bible, but we know a lot more than we're actually obedient to doing. And so a lot of times, what- yeah, which assumes that the Bible's, you know, the Bible's nothing but a book of total commands, you know, nothing but total law happens to Christians is we're like, Oh, you know what? I want deeper teaching. I want to know about the Hebrew of this and the Greek of this. And th- you know what? That stuff's fun. I'm a Bible nerd. I love studying that stuff. I've got, I could bury you in the number of commentaries I have on the Bible, right? I love that stuff. But don't ever start to think that just because you know a lot about the Bible, it means that you're loving well. Or that- yeah, and just don't think that you, you, know, you can somehow be spiritually mature while disobeying Jesus when it comes to you know, learning all that he has commanded. Yeah. Actually spiritually mature. Most of us in the church are educated far beyond our obedience. There's a lot of stuff we know that we just don't actually do. Which is absolutely true. But the problem is, is the purpose of the law is to show us our sin and our need for a savior and tell us that we need to repent and to be forgiven. Yeah, that the law never becomes the justification for not actually feeding Christ's sheep with God's word. And again, I go back to the pastoral epistles. The job of a pastor is to preach the word. So we've got something seriously wrong in the theology and the discipleship uh, assumptions, if you would, of the seeker-driven movement. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We have an update from Larry Huck as well as A.R. Bernard. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We will be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Try harder. 
We're getting awfully close to Armageddon, and it's everyone's responsibility to do their worst. As we all know, the major culprit responsible for our blistering success is the continued decline of biblical intelligence amongst American evangelicals. They're just begging to be led astray by false doctrines. We barely have to try anymore. It's actually kind of depressing. Do you all remember how successful General Abraxas was with his son Stan Still scheme? Yes! We would never have gotten away with a teaching like that 20 years ago. Yet, thanks to how mind-numbingly illiterate people have become with their Bibles, it worked like a miracle. Miracles? Heresy! <laughs> My fellow miscreants, I apologize. The slip of the forked tongue. <laughs> Now, where was I? Ah, yes. So now our orders are to come up with the dumbest, the lamest, and most ludicrous teachings to throw at these dullards and see what sticks. Anyone got any suggestions? We, uh, we could sell indulgences so that people could, uh, get time off of purgatory. That's too 13th century, Agrit. If you had spent even the slightest amount of effort in your demonic studies instead of trying to reinvent the selfie, you might have known that little historical fact. <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, how about praying the dead saints? Done it. Women could be pastors? No, 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 no. Pastrix is already in the dictionary. We can chalk that up as a victory. Maybe. We should tell everyone that they're still under the Mosaic Law. And that they must obey kosher laws. And that they must not celebrate Christmas. And be Torah observant. Too Jewish. Come on, you worthless maggots. We've already done all these before. We need to be more creative. And by that, I mean less creative. How about swingers for Jesus? We've already done that one, you idiot. What about portals? Who, who said that? Uh, I did. Well, speak up, worm. What about heavenly portals above Jerusalem? This sounds eerily like the tithing gnome, and he wasn't that popular. No, 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 your wretchedness. These are portals only above Jerusalem, and heavenly blessings fall out of them on the passersby. And, and, and you'll need a map to find them. And where exactly will they procure this map? It'll come free with every purchase of a Microsoft Zoom. <laughs> You imbeciles! They stopped making those years ago! Even the pet rock had better features, and that's bad! Even by our standards! That just sounds terrible. Why would anybody go for that? Who's next? Uh, they, they, there's a sound membrane. A sound membrane in the sky! Uh, that is bulging! And it, it is starting to leak! You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. That's it, Eurychidus. That, that's all I got. Sorry. Well, that's by far the worst idea I've heard yet. And I'm satisfied. I'll just run these notes down the chain of command. Meeting is adjourned! This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. 
I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Morning. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the seeker-driven vision-casting leaders are wrong when they refuse to actually preach and teach God's Word in depth. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world, and you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month. That's it, to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to spend Specify the amount that you would like to contribute. You could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support, because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. I've got... Time for a money-grubbing televangelist update. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. Quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. It's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must anger for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phrase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 money. That's right. 
Yeah, folks, don't get schnookered by the uh, the money-grubbing televangelists out there who are claiming the sky is falling and the financial markets are going to crash because of the Shemitah. Listen, even if the financial markets crash, it has nothing, I mean absolutely nothing to do with the Shemitah. These people are twisting God's word, all in the name of somehow returning to our Hebrew roots. And uh, what they're really doing is teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. And fear-mongering, uh, you know, it, all in the name of, you know, of teaching the Bible, if you would, and teaching you nonsense, filling your heads with absolute nonsense while they fill their pockets with your money. Here's uh, Larry and Tiz Huck. Uh, to explain the importance of the upcoming fall feasts. And, of course, you know, this is a Shemitah year and the four blood moons. You know, it's the end of the world. <clears throat> here we go. ...off the program by talking about that this could be, and I really believe it is, yeah. the most exciting mm. next 40 days yes. are 50 if we talk about... Man, that is so distracting what she does. ...going into the Feast of Tabernacles... In the history of the world. And the, and the reason I can say that is because... Just listening to it, I feel like saying, go get a room. ...of where we are right now in Bible prophecy. Yeah. Now, I say all the time that in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for... Coincidence. Coincidence. And so most of you, I'm sure, you understand the Shemitah year. You understand the four blood... Shemitah. You understand Jubilee, but if the if if you're watching today and you've not been following Schmidt the four blood moons and Jubilee, yeah. it's not a coincidence right. that God has you watching right at this moment. Yeah, see, the reason why God has me watching at this exact moment is to expose you to be a false teacher because that's exactly what you are. By the way, the Bible does talk about the Shemitah, but it doesn't talk about it in the way these people are talking about it. Let me read to you some of the relevant passages. Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 and 11. For six years you shall sow your land and gather its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. So here's the idea. In uh, the theocracy of Israel under the Mosaic Covenant, because the command to keep the Shemitah, uh, the Sabbath year, if you would, is not given to Christians, it's given to the people of Israel. And now that the Mosaic Covenant has been abrogated, it's, you know, it's been done away with, Christ has fulfilled it, we are now under the New Covenant, we're not under the Mosaic Covenant, uh, we're, not, we're not required to keep the Shemitah. All right, so we we got a real problem here. But um, notice here in this text, it just explains, you know, it, it's a Sabbath rest of of the land, and uh, that means farmers get you know you know get a sabbatical, if you would. That's kind of where the idea comes from. Uh, Leviticus chapter twenty five verses one through seven says this: The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, "Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you." The land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the Lord, uh, for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest. 
uh, for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself, and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired workers and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. And its yield shall be your food. Notice here. It's it's explaining it's a rest of the land. No, no no mention here of the Shemitah, the Sabbath year, being about the collapse of financial markets or anything of the sort. It, in fact, nowhere in Scripture does it say that you know find, you know the economy of Israel is tied to the Shemitah year. Uh, you know, the person who tells you that is not telling you the truth. Leviticus twenty-five twenty through 22. If you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? If we may not sow or gather in our crop, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop that you shall eat the, uh, the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. At the end of every, this is Deuteronomy 15, one through six now, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release, and this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. So there's a cancellation of debts that are supposed to take place in the theocracy of Israel under the Mosaic Covenant. Keep in mind, we're under the New Covenant, not under the Mosaic Covenant. And the uh, the United States of America never signed on in the Mosaic Covenant. Of a foreigner, you may exact it, but whatever of yours is uh, with your brother, your hand shall release, but there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. And if you, if only you, will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as he's promised you, and you shall lend to many nations. You shall not borrow, and you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. So it's true that the Bible teaches a Sabbath year, the Shemitah. But notice what the Bible teaches about it. It doesn't say anything about, oh, and the, uh, world economies are, are tied to the Shemitah, and God's going to wipe out you know, entire economies in the stock market. It doesn't say that at all. And so when you understand what the Shemitah was, and that's the right way to put it, because no, no country, not even modern-day Israel, lives under the Mosaic Covenant today. Um, and they can't because they, there's certain things missing for them to be able to do that. Uh, you know, we're under the new covenant. The old covenant has been done away with. Christ has fulfilled it. So looking back, you know, we can see that what this command was. It had nothing to do with the economies collapsing and stuff like that. These people are engaging in a con. They're telling a story to make money. Because, you know, we, we talk all the time about Leviticus chapter 23. Right. Is there not an appointed time? Yeah. And these appointments, these in Hebrew, moedims, right. these are the times, you know, you know I love it when, when I ask a, a, a Christian or a teacher. Yeah, whenever you hear somebody say, is there not an appointed time? Totally out of context. Again, Mosaic covenant. The next thing they're going to say is don't ever show up before the Lord empty handed. Now, he's not going to say that this second, but that's always where that leads to. Someone and I say, what does God mean when He says, "Call on the Lord yeah. while He is near"? Mm-hmm. Now think about this: God is God twenty four seven. Yes, He's the same mm. yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, and he yet is. He says, "Call on me yeah. while I am near." Right. And when does it say that God is nearer to us during the Moedim, and that we have to go and 
be you know find God in these uh, you know old covenant feast days doesn't make any sense because the old covenant has been done away with. Are appointed times. There are moedims in which God is God, but He's right. closer to mm. us. His power tis is stronger yes. than other times. Mm. And when we see these moedims, yeah. these are times that God's blessings multiply. Right. Right, and he's saying that because, oh, God's blessings multiply, but you got to sow a seed into his ministry. We'll get to that in a minute. Colossians chapter 2, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new boon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Yeah, we're, you know, those were the shadow. Christ is the substance. Christ has already come. We're no longer under these things. Right. And I think, you know, most people that follow us understand that we are connecting our Christianity to our Jewish roots. Absolutely. No, you're not. You're absolutely not doing that. If you were connecting us to the Jewish roots, then you would properly teach what the Bible says regarding what the Shemitah was. You've taken the concept of the Shemitah and then hooked it into uh, the U.S. economy. And yet, so many Christians don't even understand how and why we are connected. And these Moedims are so critical, Larry. And I know you want to say this, but this year, especially because of the times that we're living in. Absolutely. And I think you need to really take some time to explain about Shemitah, of the blood moons. Explain these things to well, our folks. You know, and, and that's a great way. Now, listen to what I'm saying. The Shemitah year, and I know most most of you or many of you don't know what the Shemitah year is. The Shemitah is seven years. Every seven years, seven is the number of the Sabbath. Mm. Every seven years, God changes the world or changes your situation. No, that's not what the passages regarding the Shemitah say at all. I just read them out from the Old Covenant. And it's nowhere does it say, and every seven years, God's going to change the world or change this or change that. That's not what uh, Deuteronomy says. It's not what Leviticus says. It's not what Exodus says. That is patently false. Economically, every seven years, he changes the finances. If we go back and we look at 2001. Every seven years, he changes the finances. That's not what the Bible says about the Shemitah. And I, and I don't want to get into a lot of detail right now. But no, he has me saying it that way. It's Shemitah. 2001 on mm. 9-11. And wow. I want everybody to understand this. Listen to me. If you're watching today, God wants to change yeah. your finances, mm-hmm. not, not for a crash, but for the windows Amen. of heaven yes. to be opened up. Yes. See, God wants to change your finances. But in order for that to happen, you have to send your best you know, first fruits offering. To Larry and Tiz Huck. Let me show you this. In 2001, right. on 9 yeah. 11, it was a Schmidt year. 9 11, those planes hit the World Trade Centers Lord. right next to Wall Street, yep. and everything shut down. Now, watch this. Mm. Listen to what I'm saying. My Lord. On 9 11, everything shut down economically in America and the world. Yeah. But 9 11, it didn't crash. It shut down. Yeah. Seven days later. Now, remember, in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for coincidence. Right. On 9-11. This is what we call the post hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy. Planes hit the trade center, trade towers. 
the economy of America and the world stopped. Yeah. It shut down. Mm -hmm. Seven days later, Wall Street opened back up. Hmm. The day, seven days later, that Wall Street opened up was in the Hebrew calendar, the 29th of Elul, Hmm. which is the last day of Shemitah. And on the 29th of Elul, when Wall Street opened back up, boom, the economy crashed worldwide. Wow. Now you go seven years exactly to 2008, and on the 29th of Elul, Exactly the same time the stock market crashed in 2008. Now, remember, the Schmidt year, Tiz, is seven years, Mm. a Sabbath year. And on. Well, Elul 29 is on a Sunday this year, so I think we're all in the clear. Ninth of Elul, exactly the last day of Shemitah, of the Sabbath year, when God judges the finances, the stock market crashed. When God judges the finances, Scripture nowhere says that on the Shemitah, God judges the finances. That is not what it says in the Bible at all. Just starting to pull out of right now, and it crashed on that Sabbath year, the seventh year, it crashed 777.7 points. Now, the reason these things are is so God wants to get our attention. He wants, God doesn't want to judge us, He wants to bless us. And so now here we are, and it'll be September 13th this year will be the 29th of Elul. This is the last day of Shemitah. There's going to be a change in the world's economy. There's going to be a change in your economy. And that's a a change in the world's economy and your economy. Wow. Yeah. How do I get in on this? More important. Yeah. The change that God's going to bring to your economy, to your finances. Yeah. Yeah. But and so this happens every seven years. Right. These appointed times happen every year, three Mm -hmm. times a year. Yeah. But this time, Shemitah is connected to the eighth since the time of Jesus of the four blood moons. And then at that same time, Shemitah. Four blood moons, the world changes every time these four blood moons come about. Uh, yeah, the world changes every time, yeah, because that, that's taught in the Bible nowhere, literally nowhere. Been seven up till this one. Seven is the wow. Sabbath year, right. the Sabbath number. Right. This one is eight, which means a new beginning. Yes. Eight. Oh, yeah, because yeah, this is the eighth blood moon. It's a new beginning, yeah. Eight, and then we go into Jubilee. So you take Schmitter, mm. you take eight, number eight since the time of Jesus of the My four blood goodness. moons, and you tie that into Jubilee, yeah. a biblical Jubilee. Listen to me. This is the most exciting time wow. in the history of the world. Wow. And if you're watching right now, God has handpicked you. The rabbi- yeah, see, if you're watching, you, you've been handpicked by God to get in on this special offer that God's giving, you know, these special blessings. He's doling out, you know, with the four blood moon Schmidt uh, jubilee cycle thingy, you know. Prophecy is that the Gentiles who see this, hmm. they will never go through the valley again. Amen. They will never go through. Uh, so, so, so there's supposedly a Jewish prophecy that if you're watching this, you'll never go through the valley again. Yeah, you won't find that in the Bible, by the way. 
desert again, yeah. that they will literally become God's bankers, mm. the Gentiles whose eyes are Come open. On. And if you're watching, God has handpicked you. Yeah. To be involved with this. Now, yeah. uh, so God wants you to become one of God's bankers where, you know, you're going to get all this money and, uh, and, you know, you're going to lend to everybody, but, you know, n- you know, never have to borrow from anyone else. Right. Oh my. Wow. That's awful. Now, what I've been telling you is, is that all of this is leading somewhere and the somewhere where it's leading is you sending money to Larry and Tiz Huck so that you can get in on this special blessing offer that God's offering because of the the trifecta of the four blood moons Shemitah Jubilee cycle. I mean, you're never going to see this again in your lifetime. And all of this is, you know, it's it's in the Bible because the Bible says the word Shemitah, right? But the Bible nowhere teaches what he's saying about the Shemitah. Nowhere. You will look long and hard in Scripture, and you will not find his doctrines connected to the Shemitah. He can say he's returning to the Hebrew roots or the Jewish roots all he wants. He's not. He's making it look like he's returning to the Hebrew Jewish roots, while all the while teaching for shameful gain what he ought not to teach. Don't believe me? Listen to this. We're going to talk over the next several weeks about Malachi, the windows of heaven being opened up. Return unto me. God says, return unto me. That word return in Hebrew is the word teshuvat. Now listen to this. Return unto me. God says in Malachi, return unto me. Teshuvah unto me and I will return Mm. unto you. Mm. Right now, the next 40 days are the days of return. Yeah. They're the days of Teshuvah. Yeah, so you need to return your money to God. Now we can return by sending it to Larry and Tiz Huck. God any time. Of course, yeah. But during this time of Elul, yeah. going into the end of Shemitah, mm-hmm. God is go- oh, man, I'm so excited. Ooh. I'm so excited that you get to hear this. Yes. When we return unto God, Malachi, God says in Malachi, I'll open the windows of heaven and I will pour you out such a blessing. There won't be room enough to receive it. They said, how do we return? And God says in tithe, we know what a tithe is, but God says also in offerings besides that. Yeah. The commandment to tithe again, Mosaic covenant. There is no new covenant uh, command to tithe. And we'll talk about it when we get back. Is a first fruit offering mm. three times a year. Yeah. We come before the Lord and we don't right. come without an offering. Yeah. This one. Yeah, don't you dare show up empty, empty handed, you know. Is the most important yeah. first fruit that you have yeah. ever given. Maybe you've mm. never given it. Or maybe you have. This one. Yep. Yeah, this one's super important. You don't want to miss this one in everything and if you're watching it's because god has handpicked you to be one of those who become god's bankers now yeah so you got to give now to larry and tiz huck so that you can get the teshuvah the return of god you got to return to god so he can return to you so that you know because malachi you know somewhere says something about open windows of heaven kind of thingy and uh, there's Hebrew words scattered throughout this. So send your first, this important first fruit, this most important first fruit to Larry and to his huck now. I want to talk about this when we come back. But this is where the scripture says, wow. blow the trumpet in Zion yes. and sound the alarm. Yes. Now, 
God doesn't say that just because of a ritual. Right. During the whole month of Elul, for the next 40 days, I will get up every morning and every evening, and I will stand in my house, then I will go outside, and I will blow the trumpet. I've done this for years and years, and I am sounding an Mm. alarm. Amen. To the devil that he can't touch my family, my finances, my future. But I go outside and blow it and let the devil know he can't touch everything that's outside. Yeah, that's (laughs) video of uh, Larry Huck uh, blowing the shofar in his backyard in suburban America. My home. He can't touch my neighborhood. He can't touch my children. He can't. Yeah, you blow the shofar and, you know, the devil, I mean, he's just got to totally wave off from your house. I mean, uh, next effective way to keep the devil is to pray a hedge around your house, you know? To my grandchildren. Yes. My grandsugars and my kids live uh, down the block and I stand and blow it towards them. You say, well, do you really think something happens when you blow the shofar? Let me ask you something. Does something happen when you pay your tithes? Yes. Does something happen when... So, you know, you got to buy... With your first fruit offerings, you can purchase one of these uh, special shofars that'll keep the devil away from your house. You lift up your hands and praise God. Does something happen when you anoint someone with oil? Absolutely. Something supernatural happens when we blow the... But does anything supernatural happen when you're baptized? No, 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 not at all. No, 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 no. You just get wet. In Hebrew, I'll talk about when we get back. In Hebrew, it says when the devil hears that you are blowing Mm. the shofar, he Mm. knows that you are part of the army of God and he has to flee. I can't wait to talk about more about this. Listen to our announcer and we'll be right back. Yeah, here comes the uh, get your your checkbook ready kind of thing. I told you this is all about money. He's twisting God's word, teaching for shameful gain, things he ought not to teach. He's not teaching what scripture teaches regarding the Shemitah at all. This unique season on God's calendar will never happen again in our lifetime. Oh, no, I better write a check to Larry and Tiz Hook. Last of the four blood moons, the ending of Shemitah on Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of Jubilee on Yom Kippur, and the anointed time of Sukkot signal there is a window of opportunity passing by right now. You don't want to miss the opportunity. You don't want to miss. God's promise to open the windows of heaven and pour out an unlimited blessing is about to be fulfilled. Your faith and first fruits offering will connect you to what God is about to do. Yeah, your first fruits offering, that means money, will connect you. You want to get in on what God's, you know, doling out right now. Well, you got to send money to Larry and Tiz Huck. That's what God wants you to do. You sow an offering of any size today. We want to bless you with an audio CD of Pastor Larry's life-changing message on the signs, wonders, and miracles we can expect right now on God's calendar. With your offering of $65 or more, we'll include Pastor's book, Four Blood Moons. This amazing study of the end times will teach you how to enter into the power and prosperity God has for you as a believer in Christ. You will also have access to a download of Pastor Larry's teaching on the seasons of God. And we'll send you this wonderful Jewish Christian calendar to stay current with all of the important biblical dates throughout the coming year. 
With your first fruits offering of $175 or more, we will include this beautiful throw with Isaiah 62 and the Star of David woven into the blanket. It's an elegant symbol of your faith and support for Israel. You will be proud to display this in your home or give it as a gift to a loved one. The shofar is God's trumpet and designed to be an incredible weapon of our spiritual warfare. As you so Yeah, I don't even have that weapon. I, I'm just totally open to demonic attack now because I don't even own a shofar. Offering of $400 or more, you'll receive this authentic ram's horn shofar, which comes direct from Israel and will include all of the other resources already mentioned. If you prefer a full-size shofar, Pastors Larry and Tiz want to say thank you for your generous first fruits offering of $1,000 or more by sending you this stunning Yemenite shofar. It's first fruits offering of a thousand dollars yeah crafted in israel and adorned in sterling silver with the cross and star of david emblem just like pastor larry you will want to sound this shofar daily to announce god's presence and protection over your life i think my neighbors would complain you get the point yeah it's all about the money show me the money that's all these people are about He's not teaching you what the scriptures say, and it's really easy to prove that. All you got to do is open up your Bible and read it. But then again, I mean, we did learn from uh, you know Pete Wilson that uh, it's not about your Bible knowledge. It's uh, you, you may be educated way beyond your obedience, but um, if you're educated well in the Bible, you, you're, you're educated in a way that will protect you and your loved ones from hucksters like Larry and Tiz Huck. All right, we're up on our second break. We'll have to get to the A.R. Bernard segment sometime next week. Stay tuned. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be heading to Africa, I believe, and we're going to be listening to a sermon entitled, You Can Talk to the Wind. Yeah, I have no idea what that means. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to High Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? 
Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc. But simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. We're going to have to save that A.R. Bernard part until next week. Again, really bizarre. Not sure what to make of it. Let's do this right. The bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Loved World Ministries, also known as Christ Embassy in Nigeria. Presiding pastor is Chris Ayakhilom. Yeah, I'm doing my best there. I probably butchered that. But uh, the name of the sermon that we are going to be listening to is entitled, You Can Talk to the Wind. You and talk to the wind. So um, I don't even know how to prepare you for what it is that you're about to hear, but I guarantee that what you're about to hear is not sound biblical exegesis, a proper handling of God's word, teachings of the historic Orthodox Christian faith, but instead something completely different. In fact, you might get this idea that maybe, just maybe, the United States has spread a terrible spiritual disease that is now hitting epidemic portions in Africa. You'll understand that in a second. So let me back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Pastor Chris. We'll just call him Pastor Chris. Here we go. Hallelujah. Now remember what we said yesterday. Give us this day our daily bread. And I told you that was before the consummation of the redemptive work. 
Oh, so because Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and because that, well, he taught us to pray that before he actually died on the cross, that must mean... Haven't done it. It only just shows us that for every Christian, every child of God, there is an allocation from heaven. Uh, what? It's an allocation. Jesus even put it this way. He said, which of you that's a father, if his son shall ask him bread, will give him a stone? Or for fish, will give him a stone? He says, if you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give good things to them that ask him? That's what he said. So even you who are men here, fathers here, you have allocations for your children. Don't you think Papa God is smarter than that? So God's smarter than you are. So that means God's going to give you what? Lots of money? Jesus says, he has. He taught those disciples, says, pray this way. He says, give us this day our daily bread. So now that that has been settled, we don't have to ask for it. We can just go ahead and receive it. Oh, so we can we don't have to ask for daily bread anymore. We can just receive it because Jesus died on the cross. Uh-huh. It's more than enough for everybody. Don't you think? Listen, he's a king. He's not giving you your daily bread like, you know, this is. No, and, and get this. It's not like manna in the wilderness that if you didn't take it today, he was gone forever. No. Some of you, I told you, you've never, you've never, you've never taken that which belonged to you. Oh, so what belongs to you is lots and lots of money because your God, is, he's a king, right? Notice he's not actually basing this on any text that he's truly exegeting. He's taking God's word out of context and then spinning extrapolations off of it in order to preach the prosperity heresy. And I bet you Nigeria is one of those really ragtag, super poverty stricken nations. And so what he's doing is preying on the poorest of the poor. Since you became a Christian, there's been lots of daily bread left over for you, which you never asked for. And what you were supposed to spend every day was more than enough for you alone. It was enough for you and many others, so you could be of help to other people. Now, since you haven't laid your claims, it's about time you did! Yeah, you better start laying your claims so you can have lots of money from God. You know, he's a king and all, you know. It's about time. And do you know why I said that? Because words are important. Yeah, you said that so that you can fleece these people and make yourself rich. You're teaching for shameful gain the things that you ought not to teach. That's what scripture says about you, Chris. Words are important. And everything in creation has memory. So whatever was set to your account, it's still there. It's still there. For some of you, it's accumulated. You'd be amazed what belongs to you. Yeah, which biblical text actually says that? Because the text that you've twisted out of context don't say anything like this. All that time you're calling on God for your house rent, it was there all the time. You just didn't know how to get it. Uh, yeah, I see your house was there the whole time. You just didn't know how to get it, right. And I bet the way I get it is to send you a check, right? 
Hallelujah. You still there? Mm-hmm. Glory to God. I refuse to be broke. <laughs> yeah, just declaring you refuse to be broke won't make you any richer, won't put any money in your pocket either, nor will it prompt God to somehow open up the windows of heaven and send blessings to you. Don't you know if you want to have money right now, you got to send a first fruits offering to Larry Huck? How could I, how could I, how, 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 how could I be broke? How could I be broke? Who are in verse what? Okay, seven. So I prophesied, so I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. Next verse. He is quoting Ezekiel 37 out of context. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Now, look at something else that's going to happen now. Verse 9. Then said he, the Lord, unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Uh-oh. Talk to the wind. <laughs> now he told somebody, talk to the rock. That's said, talk to dry bones. Now he says, talk to the wind. We can talk to the wind. Yeah, only if you don't understand what it's referring to there. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord, Yahweh, was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh came upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says Yahweh, the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people Israel." And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. And then you will know that I am Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. So you know what this passage is about. It is a prophecy regarding the resurrection of the dead. 
and specifically the resurrection of the righteous, because all who are in Christ, all who have faith in Yahweh for the forgiveness of their sins, won by Christ for them on the cross through his vicarious suffering and death and resurrection from the grave, um, then, you know, then you will be raised up as Ezekiel has prophesied, as God told him to prophesy. Now keep in mind, who did God tell to prophesy to the breath, to the bones and these things? Ezekiel. This is not a general command for us to prophesy to the wind or to the breath. And so what um, Pastor Chris is doing here is, well, it's slippery and sleazy altogether. We continue. We can talk to the wind. It's right. No, God did not command us to talk to the wind. He told Ezekiel to do that. He says, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord God, come from the four wings, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. Verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the bread came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army, and somebody said, Hallelujah. <laughs> he said, Son of man, talk to the wind. They needed water. They needed water. They were crying, Oh, we need water, water, water. Moses prays to God, Oh God, there's too many people. Where can we get water? The Lord says, Talk to the rock. Tell the rock to bring you out water. The bones are very dry. Son of man, can these bones live? Lord, that's up to you. He says, all right, prophesy to the bones. And say, oh ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. God shall cause breath. He's talking to the bones. God shall cause breath to come into you and you shall live. I wish somebody said, said something to his business. I wish somebody said something to his finances. You know. Yeah, just because Ezekiel was told to prophesy to the bones and to the breath and to the wind does not mean that we can now turn around and prophesy to our finances or to our businesses or things like that. This guy is a charlatan. I started five businesses last year. They all folded up. I don't know what to do. You know, I was selling such and such. And then finally the customers were no longer coming. You know, I opened a shop and uh, something happened. My shop is empty. People are not coming. Prophesy! Yeah, God has not told you to prophesy to your business. Hear this. Now, you know, you can't just prophesy. You need the word. You need the rhema. You get it? You need it. So how you going to get it? First of all, you got to... Getting the word. Get into the word and let the word of God inspire you. You study the word. You hear the word. Then faith comes by hearing. And after hearing the word and faith has come to you, then you pray. You pray in the Holy Ghost waiting for God to give you the rhema. Okay? The Holy Ghost will give you the rhema. Now, why do you have to pray like that? Because your natural mind cannot connect with God's station. There's a station. There's a frequency. Are you hearing me? 
So your natural mind. Okay, so I, my natural mind can't connect with God's frequency. Apparently, God's broadcasting on a radio station. So I need to pray to God to give me the rhema so that I can pick up his broadcasts you know, on his God station. Right. Connect to get it. So I'm going to be pacing the floor, speaking in tongues, waiting for the moment because when God, brothers and sisters, God is a master communicator. When he speaks, it will shatter doubt. He says, isn't my word like a hammer, like a fire, and like a sword? It's too powerful. So you, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to wonder, what if he says it and I didn't know it was him? Then you weren't praying from your spirit. You just keep pacing the floor, speaking in tongues, waiting for yeah, the... None of this stuff is actually taught in scripture. All this doctrine he's teaching, none of it's biblical. It's all extra biblical. Moment. That's the word, the word of faith, the word of power. So you're praying, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. He knows, he knows what's on your mind. He knows it's about your shop. He knows it's about your finances. He knows about that business. But you are waiting for a word because you're going to prophesy as he commands you. You need the code. God, I need the sound code. I need the sound code. Hallelujah. I need the sound code. You need a sound code. Uh-huh. So, I'm... Boy, he is really deep into these people. They are believing they're hearing the words of God and they're being fleeced by a wolf. In tongues, speaking 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 in tongues. At a certain moment, the word will come right into my spirit. Glory to God. Now you can understand why he tells us that no matter what, we are victors forever. The only way you lose is when you refuse to use what you've got or if you're ignorant. He says, my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. So many Christians suffer defeat because they're ignorant. I'll never be defeated. Oh, no. I'll get into the word, the source of all knowledge. And Christ, who is the embodiment of all wisdom, manifested in me. I refuse to fail. I refuse. Hallelujah. So you, you, for whatever it is, you need the sound code. You need it. Once you have the sound code and you give it, creation will respond to you. Uh Once you get the sound code and you get it, um, then creation will respond to you when you speak with your words. You know, because you can talk to the wind, right? The Bible doesn't teach this anywhere. These people are being taken for a ride. A very expensive one at that. The sound code is in every created thing. It's in every created thing. Yeah, really. Where does the Bible talk about the sound code? I'm not familiar with those texts, uh, Chris. And once that the Lord has put that rhema in your mouth, don't be quiet. Order it. Did you hear Ezekiel say, I prophesied as I was commanded? Yeah. Um, who was commanded to prophesy that way? Yeah, Ezekiel was. Not me. Not you. Not Pastor Chris. Not... 
Any of the people there in Nigeria listening to this crackpot? I prophesied as I was commanded. And, and, you know, the Holy Spirit was sent to help us to make success of our lives. That's why he came. He's your helper. See, no matter what you're going through, he came to help you win. Uh, He came to help us win. I thought Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and unbelief. Hmm. Don't ignore him. He came to help you win. That's why there's no position of disadvantage to you. Which passage says that the Holy Spirit came to help us win? I'm just not familiar with that text either. You know, this is weird. I mean, this guy is just making up doctrines on, on the fly. He came to help you win. Even if the trouble was too much for you as an individual, it was too much for you. The pressure was too much. Then he's the one called to walk alongside you. And hear his voice saying, son, daughter, I want to help you. Say, all you need is to hear his voice. But to hear it clearly, you must activate your spirit by speaking in tongues. Yeah, nowhere in scripture does it teach that. In fact, scripture is very clear that not everybody has the gift of tongues. This man is, I mean, just literally, you know, a deceiver beyond all belief. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now he's sitting there going, well, Pastor Roseboro, in my Bible, I don't see the word no. It just says, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Well, in the Greek, there's a wonderful little um, way this is actually put together. And there is a Greek particle with each of these questions. And the Greek particle is may. You can find this online if you can get a hold of a Greek text. And the, the Greek particle may means no. When it's used in a sentence or in a question like this, the question being asked is to be understood as being answered in the negative. So I'm not adding anything to Scripture. Scripture is clear. It asks the question, do all speak with tongues? Answer, no. And, uh, you know, so it starts off, me pantas apostoloi, me pantas prophetai, me pantas didaskaloi, me pantas dunamis, me pantas charismata, yeah, exousia imation, me pantas glasaleas. The answer is no. No. Not all speak with tongues. What this guy is saying is absolutely false. Oh, you can't hear the, the voice of God until you learn how to activate it, you know, your faith by speaking in tongues. Scripture nowhere teaches this. This man is a charlatan, all in the name of you know the, the gifts of the Spirit. You know, he doesn't teach rightly what the Scriptures teach regarding the gifts of the Spirit at all. So that when you hear him, it'll be fine. That means clear, very clear. No doubt in your mind that he talked to you. 
You just know it. Sometimes you find a Christian that has been given a very terrible report on his health. And then he doesn't know what to do because nobody that he knows that had that condition lived. And so death is hanging over his head. He knows his friend who was born again and had that problem. He knows the other friend who was born again and had that problem. And so he says to himself, those people even had more faith than myself. Listen, it's not about their faith. It's about your faith. It's not about what they were able to accomplish or not accomplish. It's what about you are willing for. Question is, what do you want? Can he help you? Yes. Can he put you over? Yes. How does he do it? He needs you. He needs your cooperation. You need his help. He needs your cooperation. So so God can't heal you without your cooperation. No biblical text teaches this either. These two cannot walk together except they be agreed. He needs your cooperation. You know, in life, there are too many people who already set themselves for defeat. And sometimes that is the biggest trouble. And it stops them from seeing opportunities even where they're there. Okay? And brings in frustration into their lives. And they don't understand that these things begin with the thoughts. I read an, an experiment that was done by... So now he's teaching that you can create your, your health and your wealth with your thoughts and your words. This is the prosperity heresy among the world's poorest in Nigeria. Fleecing them. This man has ingratiated himself off of their money. This is blood money he's exacting from these people in the name of tithes and preaching of God. And yet he's blaspheming God. That's exactly what he's doing. Tacking Christ and God's name onto this blasphemous doctrine that is nowhere taught in Scripture. Uh, A Japanese uh, researcher. And what he was trying to do, he actually sent out the report of his experiment around the world. And he's presently carrying out a project helping to uh, inspire young people, children, about the importance of water. It was a water experiment that he carried out. And think about this, from what we study in the Bible, even the, 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 the earth was covered with water. Okay? Everything was water. And the Holy Spirit was moving over the deep. Again, that's water. And then God spoke to the water. Water is so important. So, he began to carry out this experiment on water. And... Um, he decided to, to freeze the water. And he got water from different sources, whether from springs, um, from the rivers, then uh, tap water as well. But according to him, tap water didn't work. It failed. 
because of the chlorine involved in it. So it was contaminated in such a way. But um, mostly natural water. And he took the water down to about minus five degrees. And he wanted to see in this frozen state what crystals would form from the ice, if any. And what the shapes of the crystals and colors of the crystals would be if they responded to words. So he put these different jars. He used a large refrigerator. And he and his assistants every day will speak nicely to this one. You're wonderful. You're doing beautifully. I love you. He's talking to water. He goes to the other one. I hate you. <laughs> You're useless. And he said all kinds of terrible things to this one. And you know, like that. Come to find out that the, the one that was given such words of love and gratitude produced the most beautiful crystals. And the ones that they insulted and abused and, and cursed were deformed. The crystals were deformed. He also tried it with different types of music. Playing nice, good music. Godly Beethoven's music. To one, it turned out to be excellent. Now listen, this experiment has got lots of pictures. You, you look at the pictures, they're beautiful. And you can really see how these crystals were formed. Then he used high metal music. You know. <laughs> you know. Interestingly, the crystals were deformed. He tried different kinds of sounds and discovered the best crystals, the most beautiful crystals. Now, the experiment he's referring to, by the way, was conducted in the 1990s by Dr. Masaru Emoto. And, uh, yeah, it shows different, um, well, crystal formations based upon different variables, including words and music and prayer and things like that. And let's put it this way. The, there's a lot of people out there who are scientifically criticizing this experiment. It doesn't have the same, um, let's say, reproducibility as like the double slit test when it comes to quantum theory and things like that. Um, there's a lot of people out there who are questioning the science of this, uh, of this experiment. But even if it were true, it doesn't teach then, oh, well, that means that our words create reality, as uh, Pastor Chris is saying. Doesn't you know? Because where is he getting this teaching from? He didn't get it from clear passages of scripture. Oh, speak to the wind! You know, Ezekiel was told to speak to the wind. So you got to speak to your, 
you know, your business and your finances and stuff like that. That's a you know total twisting of Ezekiel 37 and uh, Emoto's uh, you know theory on, in his experiment with uh, ice crystals has absolutely nothing to do with Ezekiel 37, nor does it shed any light on Ezekiel 37, because we are not told to prophesy to our circumstances or our finances or our business as if, you know, they're the dry bones uh, that are represented, uh, you know, or symbolized there in uh, Ezekiel 37. we got some big problems here with uh, Pastor Chris's teaching. He's off on a tangent, like I said, totally fleecing these people. Were those Christians that had beautiful music with words of love and gratitude. Water responded to words. Now, these are, these are experiments that have been tested and proven, which you can carry out in your home. They're so simple. Are you hearing me? They're so simple. And here is the interesting thing. They found out if these Christians formed like this, responding to words, and your body has water, 70% water. You see, I mean, if these crystals responded to words and they're made of water, you're made of water too. So your words are going to create beautiful things in you if you use your words. Yeah, wow. Not taught in the Bible. No wonder a lot of people are sick. Because there's a response of the water to the bad words, the abusive words that they've been receiving and the ones that they've been speaking about themselves. Yeah, this is what we call magic, not biblical doctrine. How soon should you change your speech? (laughs) See what I mean? You can understand why people get sick. The water in the body is responding to the terrible words they're speaking about themselves. The Christians were deformed. Then you can see why some people are deformed in their bodies, deformed even in their minds. For example, when you really... Because they spoke negative words over their life. Oh, no. Joel Osteen's right after all. Uh, you see, water, water is a type of spirit. It symbolizes the human spirit, the human soul. Do you understand? Water is a type of spirit. Where, where do you get that from the scriptures, please? And when you release anger and frustration... It's a manifestation of a deformed soul. It's deformity within that's causing continuous anger and frustration. Requiring healing. These particles respond to energy that's coming from you. What? Your thoughts have energy. You re- What? energy from your thoughts that affect your environment and ultimately the circumstances of your life. Then you can understand why even though you're sowing seeds, you know, some people say, I don't understand. I sowed seeds and I didn't get results. I'm showing you all these things that you need to deal with. 
It can be so easy. Yeah, see, it's not enough just to sow seeds. Yeah, that means give money to Pastor Chris. It's not enough. You got to speak positive words, too. And cussing your business and cussing your finances. See, since your mind, your thoughts can control the circumstances of your life. And if you're having negative thoughts, thoughts of fear, thoughts of unbelief, thoughts of anger and frustration, they'll manifest themselves in your words and they'll manifest themselves in the arrangement of things around you. Now, that is very serious. And what does the Bible say? As a man think it. So easy. Another verse out of context. Yeah, as a man thinketh, so is he. That is not, that's this passage in Proverbs chapter uh, 23 does not teach that, you know, our thoughts create reality. When Anyone who says, uh, Scripture says, as a man thinketh, so is he, that means your thoughts create the, you know, the, the future or create the circumstances you're in. That's nonsense. Let me read it from a good translation. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 6. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Yeah, it's <laughs> it talks about how the stingy man is inwardly calculating. He says eat and drink, but he really doesn't want you to do that because he, you know, he doesn't like spending any money. That's the point of Proverbs 23, verse 7. Not that we create the, you know, the, uh, the universe or our circumstances by our thoughts or anything like that. This guy is slick, and it's just absolutely sad to see the huge mass of people in this huge megachurch in Nigeria who are falling for this nonsense. Your thoughts reflect your character, and your thoughts affect your character. And so they affect the things that happen to you. They affect the things that happen, that come to you. You can attract, your thoughts attract what they are like. Yeah, no, they don't. And the Bible doesn't teach that. Frustrated, you attract frustrated people into your world. If you're angry, you attract, you know, such kind of people into your world as well. You know? But you want happiness in your life, then disallow the negative thoughts. Disallow them. You've got to consciously disallow, consciously program your mind, consciously. It's something you choose to do. You may not like it. You know, there are people who like to hold those they call their enemies in their mind. Say, I'll never forgive him. I tell you about one man who was dying. He was dying. He was in the hospital. And he said, give so-and-so this one. And give the other one, the other thing, and so on. Then he said, he mentioned a particular fellow. He says, even if I meet him in hell, I will wrestle him in hell. <laughs> he was still angry. He was dying. He's given his last words on his deathbed. And remembers this enemy of his and he says he will wrestle him in hell. (laughs) And then there's a fellow who was so angry about his son. He said, don't give that one anything. Give this one and give this one. But that one, don't give him anything. He was still angry. Dying. 
See, there are people who hold something in them. They hold anger in them. It burns in them. And they're happy to protect it. They protect their anger. So even if you're counseling with them and saying, you have to forgive you. Do you know what he did? Do you know what he did? You see, it's not about them. When you forgive others, it's about your life. Forgiveness is about your own life. It's for you. When you free others, you become free. As long as you hold them, hold against them what they did against you, you are not free. No, you're not free. You're not free. You're in trouble. You're in more trouble than they are. It brings you unhappiness. Disorientation. Have you ever seen people who are going like this? They're they're going to the office. (laughs) They're not sure whether they forgot something. And... (laughs) They're confused everywhere they are. Disorientation. Glory to God. Three things take care of. Now, if you want to make circumstances and events shift in your favor, number one, your heart must line up with the word. Your heart must line up with the word. Remember. With okay, the heart. so if you want to shift circumstances, your heart has to line up with the word. Oh, I, I want circumstances to shift. So how do I line it up? Man believes. With the heart, man believes. And with the mouth, confession is made. You see, and remember what confession is. Yeah, he's quoting Romans chapter 10, verse 10 out of context. This is an irrational twisting of God's word. Romans chapter 10, verse 10 is not saying, if you want circumstances to shift in your favor, well, then you better get your thoughts in alignment with the word of God. That's not what Romans 10 says at all. Romans 10, starting at verse 5. Context, context, context. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness that's based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, uh huh, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what that text is about. It's about saving faith. Not about, oh, you've got to get your words and thoughts in alignment so that you can change your circumstances. This man is lying. Lying, and lying is the native language of the devil. Homologia. It means speaking the same thing in consent. I told you. See, so you've you got to get the code. 
from the Lord. It's not just speaking something. It's speaking the same thing in tongues. With the mouth, confession is made. He didn't say with the mouth, declaration is made. Even though it's a declaration, or it is the declaration of the same thing. See, speaking the same thing in consent. Yeah, con- speak the same thing. God wants you to be successful. So speak success, and you're speaking the same thing as God. That's not what this text means at all. Meaning you agree with him in what he said. So what you say is consistent with what he said. Hallelujah. Number two, your mind must line up with your heart on the word. Your mind must line up with your heart on the word. See, because it's got to have meaning when you use language. It's got to have meaning with your heart. So your mind must line up with your heart on the word. And thirdly, your speech must utter the sound code. Your speech must utter the sound code. Yeah, where in scripture does it say my speech has to utter the sound code? Not familiar with that passage either. Now, you see, we're teaching the same things. In different words and terms. That sound code is what we call rima. Can you see it? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. How the word rima it can somehow mean sound code. The rima word. That's the active word. That's the word that the Spirit of God gives you for that moment. For that situation. And that's what Ezekiel was saying. I prophesied as I was commanded. Yeah, that's not what Ezekiel was saying at all. That's that word of faith. See, that's burst in your spirit by the Holy Ghost. And when you say it, it'll come to pass. Hallelujah. It'll come to pass. Now, understand this. Your body and your mind don't recognize time. What? My body and mind don't recognize time? What? Your body does not know that he's in today. Your emotions don't know. Your body doesn't know. Your body doesn't recognize time. It doesn't respond to time. Yeah, and which biblical text says this? Your emotions don't respond to time. They respond to your mind. Whatever your mind tells them. Can you see that? You know what I'm getting at? I'll tell you in a second. Yeah, I have no idea what you're getting at because you're not actually exegeting any biblical passages. Every text you've touched, you've ripped out of context and not taught what it actually says or means. This is so, so, so important. But, you see, our bodies are made subject to our thoughts from our minds. Now look at this. 
Imagine that I said to you, someone just built a house and gave you the keys. You haven't seen the keys yet. You say, really? Now your mind's that, you know. And tomorrow, by 8 a.m., you're supposed to pre- present yourself at such and such an office and get the keys to the house. And I show you the pictures of the house. Oh, my goodness. Already, you're dancing. Your body is not waiting for tomorrow. He doesn't know it's tomorrow. He's already rejoicing like he already got the house. Right? And your emotions, you're expressing joy. You're expressing, you know, happiness. You... Like you already got the house. Why are they responding? Because your mind said, he's seen the picture. There's a house. I got a house. So he's already dancing. Happy. Yeah, notice, he's not basing this on any biblical text. He's just, you know, putting out what sounds reasonable. I mean, this is a theology all built on ideas in his brain. Nothing to do with what God's word actually reveals. You were feeling sick. The headache is already gone. (laughs) The fever is gone. You know, some people, when they don't have money, uh, they feel terrible. You know, their head is down. How are you? Oh, man, it's bad. (laughs) Say, I'm in bad shape. Why are you in bad shape? (laughs) Because there's no money. And he thinks because he doesn't have money, he doesn't have friends. He said, no money, no friend, you know. (laughs) So he's down and out. But let him just get some money. And, woo! He's dressed and ready to go. He's set. Can you see that? All right. What is his body responding to? What are his emotions responding to? The thoughts of his mind. So, when we hear something that's not good, doesn't make us happy, our shoulders drop. Even if you were dancing before the news came, once is bad news, suddenly it's a, uh, hmm. Now you're thinking how you're going to pray, how you, you know, what you're going to do. And if there's music on, turn that thing down. <laughs> just, you don't want to hear the music, you know, nothing, just nothing. And even if the child is dancing around you, it's like, take this child out of here. <laughs> you know, you just, what's the matter? You just want to be alone now. Why? Because there's something serious now. Then imagine why you're doing this and thinking, oh God, oh God. Then there's a telephone call and you don't even want to pick it. Not a biblical text. It's imagine, 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 imagine. This is imagination theology, not biblical theology. For some reason, you decided to pick it. And the fellow on the other side said, you know what we were told about this? I told you that, that I, I just found out it's not true. I, I just, it's not true. You see? Hey, go with that guy. changed information that's all it just changed your thoughts and once your your thoughts changed your whole body was full of light Woo! 
glory. Now you're ready to dance. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now here's what you've got to learn. Live beyond your circumstances. Live in the future of your dream. Celebrate your victories. Don't wait for them to happen first. Live in them. And you will find that you're shifting things in your favor. Live in them. So all you got to do is live in positive thoughts and dreams and you'll shift things in your favor. Taught nowhere in scripture. He didn't use a biblical text to teach this. He used imagination and anecdotal stories. And you discover the best ideas are coming to you with the power to produce them, to make them happen. You know, a lot of people have good ideas, but it's like they've come to birth, but there's no, no, no strength to give birth. You see, and that's terrible. But if you, if you would let, let the Spirit of God minister to you like that and you stay in the, in the uh, atmosphere of joy and worship, you can understand why worship is so important. The code. You see, when we worship God and praise Him, our spirit is attuned to His station. And at that moment, we can receive Rhema. We can receive and visions. Visions. The power of visions. How can I see visions? Can I see visions? Well, He said, In the last days, said God, I poured my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Yeah, it didn't say anything about tuning into God's station or receiving a rhema. Um, yeah, this guy, everything he touches it is even remotely re- connected to God's word. Twisted, out of context. Says, the young man shall see what? Visions. The old man shall dream what? Dreams. So whichever way, you got to see something. <laughs> Hallelujah. I believe in <laughs> Out of context. Yeah, that was... Uh, Joel's prophecy, and it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. I believe in visions. I believe in visions. We ought to see visions. Every child of God needs to know that the Holy Ghost has been poured out, and that has made it possible for you to see visions. You want to see visions? Some of you have been seeing visions already. You can see visions. You can see more. See visions. Glory to God. Remember, why we've got to share these things is that we make them available and, and um, also uh, impart them through the message. When we preach and teach the word, faith comes. Otherwise, you may never receive them. See, the gifts of the Spirit, places where nobody talks about the gifts of the Spirit, nobody manifests the gifts of the Spirit. They don't talk about it, so they don't have it. Right, yet Scripture is clear that everybody who's a Christian, who is baptized, has the Holy Spirit. Weird, huh? They don't talk about divine healing, so they don't see the miracles. See? Start arranging circumstances in your favor. Start declaring. Yeah, start arranging circumstances in your favor by declaring. Nowhere taught in Scripture. What it is you want and how you want it to be listen do you realize that the moment you start speaking things start getting created for you 
Yeah, uh, really. Which biblical text says that? Let me show you something in the Bible. Yeah, let's see that in context, please. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 7. Read. They are created now and not from the beginning. That means not of old. Even before the day when thou heardest them not, lest thou shouldest say, Behold, I knew them. Yeah, let's take a look at that, applying our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. Isaiah 48. Hear this, O house of Jacob, verse 1, by the way, who are called by the name of Israel and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of Yahweh and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right, for they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves um, on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth, and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass, because I know that you are an obstinate, that you are obstinate, and you are, your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead is brass. I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you. Lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this, and will not, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you a, a new thing, or new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago, before today, you have never heard of them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known, from of old your ear has not been opened, for I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake I defer my anger, for the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver, I have tried you in the furnace of affliction." Yeah, notice here, Isaiah 48, verse 7, is not saying that you create things with your words. That's not what this text is saying at all, when you read it in context. All right. It says, they are created now. What is God saying? He's saying, I'm making a new thing. It's not what was there before. Just so you're not going to say, I knew about it before. He says, I'm, I'm doing a new one now. You see, so there are, there, God makes new things now and he creates them as we speak. They are created now. That's not what Isaiah 48, 7 says at all. Why? Because you are born in God's class. You're made in God's class. You are a creator. Uh, you are made in God's class. Did you catch that? He's saying you are a God. That's what he's saying. That is the unstated, for the most part, uh, main premise of the whole word of faith heresy, that you are a God. He just said it, though. You are in God's class. You are a God. You are a creator. Wow. Blasphemy beyond belief here. That's what he made you to be. Remember, he said, we read it yesterday. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let him look like us. 
Let him function like us. So you can create those circumstances. They are created now. Not later. Not tomorrow. As you speak, it is being made for you. So don't frustrate the grace of God. That grace is for your benefit. Use it for your good. Don't frustrate it. Let it work. Let it work. And once you say it, hold on to it. Don't say, you know, I said it, and then later I saw, you saw what? The, the things began to change. <clears throat> Don't forget, there are other forces. There are other forces. Let me try to bend things their way. Especially, imagine, we're dealing with the same thing. I'm dealing with this stuff, and you're dealing with the same stuff, and we're all on the same stuff. Where do you think it's going to bend to? It's going to bend to the one whose authority is stronger. If I refuse to give up, it makes no difference to me what the other fellow is thinking. I'm going to have it my way. I'm going to have it my way. Then you say, what the other guy is saying, saying, leave it for God then. See what I mean? Yo, I see what you mean. You're teaching the same demonic doctrines as Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer... Um, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand you quite well. So don't tell me uh, he said, she said. No. What's important to me, the word of God is personal. I'm going to have it my way. I said it's going to work out this way, and that's the way it's going to be in the name of Jesus Christ. And just slapping Jesus' name on the tail end of your declaration isn't going to make anything happen. I read the other day, he said, we trusted in God who raises the dead. In God who raises the dead. You say, come what may, it's going to be my way. So no matter what has happened, it will turn out for my good. It's coming back in my favor. That's the way God wants us to think. Not, you know, being a... If God wanted us to think that way, then it would say it that clearly in God's word, and it doesn't. If this is what God wanted us to believe, you wouldn't have to twist God's word to make this doctrine up. You give up, no matter, you know, something just happened. Oh, they said, they said, they said, it's, they said, they said. Are you going to live your life with they said? Who said? They say, in the name of Jesus, I say... Yeah, as if you're a god. You know, there are some people you don't have to reply. When they talk like that, you just listen, listen, listen. When they finish, you go. Don't say to them yes or no. Say nothing. You just listen, listen, listen. When they finish, thank you. Then go into your room, shut your door. Yeah, and start speaking the secret code, you know. You speak in tongues. On oh, man. This is awful. Amen comes. And when he comes, you prophesy. Then you will talk to the rock. You will talk to the wind. You will talk to the water. Talk to everything. And it will turn out for your good. 
Yeah, and nowhere does the Bible teach that. Instead, Jesus says, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not yours, but his, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Notice all of that is a humble petition to the king of the universe. What this guy is preaching is that you're a God and that you create, you decree, you declare. No point getting on your knees begging God for your daily bread. You have faith and you can activate it with the Rhema code and start speaking in tongues. And you know, and then you can speak the things of the universe into existence with your words. That's not prayer. That is absolute audacious presumption. Demonic at that. And nowhere taught in Scripture. Before, for if it were taught in Scripture, Scripture would clearly and unambiguously teach this stuff. But each text that he touched, he twisted it out of context to make it say something that it doesn't say, to make it mean something that it doesn't mean. And all you have to do is put those texts back in context, and you can spot this man for what he is. A wolf sent by the Satan himself. Unbelievable. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.